Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Tabletop role playing aficionado. Welcome to the Monday edition by bi weekly behind the scenes DM only live stream crafting Icewind Dale, which I build right and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. If you're playing characters of a Robin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, this is not the right stream for you. But for the rest of you, welcome. Happy uh, President's Day, also. A lot of us had the day off today. Uh, there will be spoilers, though. We stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. Watch all of the sessions and reviews here on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at RogueWatson and join our official Discord server with invite link into the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash RogueWatson. For our campaign, we use Roll20. For streaming, I use Open Broadcaster software with Streamlabs. I've been working very diligently on the Patreon D&D game, which is on Thursday. And it's always awkward when I have to switch gears back to my uh, other game. <laughs> which uh, I'll be working on for crafting tonight, which is going to be on Friday. I, my oldest, by the way, had a four-day weekend for President's Day weekend. That's crazy. Four-day weekend, and they just had, like, almost a week off because we had a killer ice storm here in Texas, so, dang. All right, where are we? Necropolis of Etherin. We've been talking about that for a long time. So they did the Chain Lightning Stadium. All right, well, half of it. Uh, as I predicted, because it was close and it's fun. We only got about halfway through it because uh, by expanding on the rules, of course, that does make it a lot uh, lengthier and more involved. But uh, at least from Frostside Chat, it sounded like uh, they were having a pretty good time with it. So we'll be able to wrap that up next time. And then, you know, awkwardly, unfortunately, because of the uh, the relatively short session lengths that we have, I'm not able to do nice stop and starting points like I do with the Patreon D game where I try and like say, okay, we did, you know, this area in this session and then we did this stuff in this session. Um, instead, it's been like, okay, now we did three quarters of the Tower of Abjuration in this session and then we did the final battle of the tower, which ended up taking half the session and then we did like uh, two rounds or one round, where I don't even know how many rounds we went of um, the... Chain Lightning Stadium, and I forgot to turn off the CRIT thing, sorry. <laughs> it's left over from Friday. It is no longer full, we've done a giveaway. Giveaway has been done. Okay, should be good. Uh, so I don't really need to go over the Chain Lightning thing. The only thing is if they end up losing, which I don't think they will because they've been really optimizing it very well and having some of their players, uh, some of the characters do the athletics checks, and the other ones actually fire the wand, so they should be able to go pretty quickly. And I realize I'm kind of making it a pain in the ass by doing the whole mirror image thing, but... 
Uh, so we can wrap that up. They can get their trophy. If by some chance they manage to not actually win, then they can fight the Majins, I guess. Main campaign is now referred to as the other game. That's right. You are the you are the main game now. One I truly care about. And I'm really excited about Ether, and I, I like this area a lot. I think it's pretty fun to plan. I've actually, you know, and it's it's already inspired me to do some cool stuff. I think like I, I wrote up the rules for the Chain Lightning Stadium. I've got my own version of like a a table of of terrible uh, things that can happen because of these far realm incursions that are taking place throughout the area, the region, because of the malfunctioning Mythalar, and they'll be experiencing probably one of them on the way through uh, back through this. Uh, middle area um, they keep having their eyes on this arboretum which is so funny so maybe they'll actually skip the tower and go straight to the arboretum next so we can go back to the arboretum and talk about that uh, just in case in fact we might as well because I need to talk about that's obviously before they get to the next tower tower of conjuration I mean what are the odds they're going to hit that I guess I'll probably save that for Thursday we'll probably revisit tower of conjuration on Thursday just in case they do go there I mean it makes the most sense if you're literally looking at it like an open world game you just say, okay, I need to go, you know, here, 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 and here. I might as well just not, you know, go to the other side of the map and go for, you know, you're you're going to go to the nearest point. At least that's what most sane people do. That's what I do when I'm playing an open world adventure game. So I would presume they're going to hit up uh, this Tower of Conjuration, House of the Arcane, which is the Academy, and then the Library, which I did talk about, which is also a custom play. So... I've essentially customized chain line. I'm using all the towers are all different, but those I can't take credit for because that's from uh, Ethernet Expanded Towers of Magic. Uh, the chain lightning stadium I did do myself. The library I've completely redone, and then the arboretum I'm kind of in the middle of maybe customizing and redoing. I'm a little worried that I'm adding too much content to Ethrin. Um, now that we're in the late game, I don't want to drag things on too long. I am excited about this this whole city, but we're also approaching session 80, I think. I think this is, uh, what is this, 79 in our campaign, you know, and the, the two-year mark would be, uh, I believe, the end of March, which I think we will definitely hit. So I am I am conscious of that, and we've already got all the, the towers in terms of content to run, so I don't know how much I really want to go hard on this. Um, I do like the idea of, I, I want to keep the library things. I think that's a fun idea, and I've got that one um built around basically combat but the arboretum even though it would be fun to turn into because i liked the map that i found uh, and i can pop that one up again i'm leaning towards just letting them treat that like a uh social or skill check sequence versus a combat sequence even though as you can see i've thrown a bunch of creatures on here are you talking about the chain lightning stadium sylvan I'd have to make a strength or dex athletics check. Let them choose to make athletics or acrobatics check. Yeah, I was already... Um, I, I don't know. I thought strength or dex athletics was already a, a huge um, give to them to allow them multiple options for grabbing the thing. And if you notice, you don't get struck by the electricity if it if you fail. But I did have it in my notes that if you... Uh, if you roll, so let's see, it's a, I gotta look back at my notes real quick. I think it's a DC 15 is what I'm looking for. If you fail, you just don't absorb the wand. But if you fail by five or more, in other words, you roll less than 10 on that athletics check, then it does hit you. Um, and then it essentially, uh, 
eliminates you. So there's a bit of risk reward every time you go into the athletics check. Because at some point I realized like they were like, oh, everybody can just step in there and you're like, you might as well try to go for it. Well, that's why, because you can't have absolutely fall on your face and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, end up like basically eliminating yourself by then. And I, I didn't expect a whole, what was it? Like, did we do two rounds or did we run one round? I forget. Must've been two rounds. Excuse me, I'm trying to choke myself around this coffee. I didn't expect it to only have one elimination through those first two rounds. So that pacing felt a little bit off for me. I think that was a combination of just having some wonky rolls and then um, the the players focused firing on a bunch of mirror image folks. And mirror image really added to that because I think they would have literally eliminated like half the enemy team if not for mirror image. Uh, instead, they burned through all of those. So which was the idea. I was looking at it like, okay, what's the best like kind of spells I can use that aren't a pain in the ass? And Mirror Image is a good one for that. <laughs> so this is the Arboretum situation where they have to get a, uh, they have to craft a wand from the Nether Oak. They've learned that they have to do this as part of the main quest and they keep having their sight set on it, which is fine. Um, as written by 10, um, the Nether Oak is a treant. It's asleep when they arrive. They can make a DC 20 stealth check to just gather the wood. And if they wake it up, so I guess if they fail it, then they only have to make a DC 15 persuasion check. Now, that's if they're level 9. I can I can increase all those DCs to make things more interesting. Maybe it's a DC 25 stealth check in order to succeed here. And then maybe it's a DC 20 persuasion check. Although, as I uh, complained about, uh, last week, it is literally impossible for Balrovin to do less than like a 25 persuasion check. But, you know, maybe that's a good opportunity. If we just want to turn this into a social event, um, maybe we can. And and I could even press the press it by saying like, well, okay, I won't fight you, but just maybe I'm a bit bored. Show me some entertainment and I can throw these uh, carnivorous sods. Fun fact, for those of you that have... Uh, played in my very first patron D&D game uh, or have watched it, you may recognize these little beauties, which are like tufts of grass with teeth. <laughs> the carnivorous saw. This is from uh, Cobalt Press. And uh, just a very, you know, simple creature. But I just like that it just pops up out of the ground with teeth and just looks like a little quadrupedal monster. Has a little trip attack it can do to get some extra um, attacks on you. So just, I don't know. I thought it was fun. Whether or not I'll pull the trigger on here, though, is or or just let them get the and and maybe you know I also thought about well maybe it takes a couple skill checks to build the wand or because weirdly it doesn't say anything about that in the book it just says they can grab the stuff and then they've they've got it so I guess okay you just grab a piece of wood and that becomes the wand or do you have to do something else uh, maybe I could allow something else but it it almost becomes pointless. I'm trying to think what the failure state would be if you can't craft the wand. Maybe you destroy it and you have to get another one, and that requires you to do more fighting or something? I don't know. So I can't decide if it's worth going through the motion of having to craft it. Having to craft a main quest item, I guess, is the tricky part. Hey, CT. So that's the Arboretum. Um, it is... I've got the Keeper of the Grove, which is... Where did I get this one from? I don't remember. Something in here. Let's look it up. Hmm. I thought it was... There it is. Nope. Treant. There it is. Treant Keeper of the Grove. 
It's from Monster Manual Expanded. Okay, which is now on uh, Roll20. And it's basically a, tr it's a more powerful treant with some spells. I thought that was pretty appropriate. And then I, it's as part of its action, if it attacks, it can summon treants, which I just had that be regular treants, but with smaller size. And then I had a bunch of carnivorous sod. So maybe, you know, a good persuasion check will just make it so it summons less creature. Because you got to remember that having a good persuasion, it doesn't give you Jedi mind trick, right? It's not magically uh, compelling somebody to do something they wouldn't want to do. But you're just being very persuasive about it. <laughs> and I realize that's a very tricky thing to draw the line between. It's kind of the same thing with like illusion spells. You know, it, it kind of varies from DM to DM in terms of how much can players get away with some kind of illusion spells um, versus how much do you like not let them get away with things. And I, I feel like the persuasion versus using abilities like Charm Person um, because persuasion isn't Charm Person. And I'm always one that is very quick to allow people to win role-playing slash skill check challenges by using spells because that uses a resource. Whereas just rolling a skill check is a lot tougher of a sell to me because it's just something your character is good at, but you're not actually expending a resource to do that thing. That gets a little tricky. Hey, Unversed. Also, welcome to the uh, Patreon. I think you've joined the Discord. Make sure to link it to Patreon um, so that you can get access to our patron stuff if you haven't already. Stronger existing monsters. Yeah, I would I would definitely recommend Monster Manual Expanded. In fact, I believe there's three of them now. <laughs> um, I think I reviewed the first one and maybe the third one. I don't remember if I did the second one. But they're all fantastic. The first one especially is basically... It, it's just variants of existing monsters in the Monster Manual. Which is cool. Like, uh, every single creature that's in the Monster Manual just gives you a different version of that creature. Um, some of them might be strike. Most of them are probably stronger uh, versus weaker. They all have art, which is awesome, and that's what helps make it look really, really good in Roll20. And then for some reason, they use different token art. So instead of the blended, like, yellow and red that you see for all the official D&D stuff, it's a blended, like, pink and purple. So uh, it, it stands out as using a Monster Man Expanded. Kind of clever on their point, I guess, uh, as a way of, like, almost branding. <laughs> Not even sure how much of its spells I would actually use. I just like its ability of entangling plants, which is just a huge ass um, tangling spell. Which restrained is a great condition to inflict upon players. I guess having a good thorn whip to drag them closer is always good too. But all the conjure spells, uh, such a pain in the ass on both players' point, frankly, <laughs> for both on the player side and the DM side, conjuring critters is just a pain in the butt. You gotta be prepared too. Like if, if I'm gonna do it, it's not something I can just be like, oh, what should I do? Oh, let's do this. Like, no, I gotta have like tokens on the map and have that shit ready to go and, and be aware that that's what I'm gonna do. I think we can start actually throwing together the Tower of Divination. Have I haven't built that one yet? I haven't. Ooh, let's do that. We can do that one from scratch. Well, not from scratch, but you know what I mean. <laughs> from the Expanded Towers of Etherin. On sale now on the DMs Guild and World War. So this one is Y11, which is up here in the corner, which means they'll have most likely already done Conjuration, the Library, the Arboretum, 
and this tower. Boy, one thing I would love to ask all of you is level pacing wise, should the players, so they're level 13 right now, and that is by design because I wanted them to be uh, leveling up more often because there's that much content here. I really didn't add that much custom content to uh, Rhyme. I just wanted to run more of the Rhyme content. And so I just pasted accordingly. Um, should I level them up while they're in Etherin? And if so, how much more should they level up? And if you look at the uh, the past couple levels, I think they've averaged around seven sessions a level, which feels, I think, pretty good for us. That might because again, we do you know our sessions are shorter. We do like two to two and a half hour sessions. Three, four, five, six, seven, seven sessions for twelve. One, two, three, four, five, six sessions for level eleven. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven sessions for ten. Uh, we had a, only five sessions for nine. Five, six, seven for eight. And weirdly, only four for seven. That was a weird one because they went to a main story uh, place and I had them um, level up after that big story event. But otherwise, we seem to kind of pace it pretty well at the same rate. And they will be entering. This week will be the fourth session already in Etherin. I feel like they've barely scratched the surface in here, which is why I'm also worrying about adding all this content and expanding all these things into like little mini dungeon crawls and monster events, because that's what I like to do. And I know that's what my players like to do. We like to fight, but it also takes a long time. And holy shit, we're going to be four sessions into Etherin, and look at where we've gotten to. Like we're right here. I barely made it from the, in the, the beginner place. Like all we went to do was the gate, Realized we had to go to the towers. We've done one tower, and then we've done the Chain Lightning Stadium. So, yikes. On the other hand, maybe I put it in my notes that once they've done, you know, three towers, because, I mean, it, look at all this other content they could do. They could just slice off two more towers plus the library plus do some more, you know, random encounters and stuff. And that, I mean, how many more sessions is that going to be? That could literally easily take us to where we're seven sessions into Etherin, and we still have half of the city to go so i could honestly see us leveling them up to 14 and then do another half of the towers meet up with valish and nas and maybe even level up to 15 for the actual spire in the middle that could be pretty nuts lovely to see them by the end of the campaign I mean, that's kind of what I'm asking. Like, I didn't really have a set goal necessarily. I always kind of, it got more nebulous the further I got. I was pretty set in stone, you know, early on in midway in terms of here's where I want to see them and uh, here's where I see the general pacing going. And I always had it at around, I think, 13 for Etherin. But beyond that, it was always kind of a question mark. I think I'd always assumed that... Etherin would take us about the same like seven sessions and so they would level up one more time for the final battle so maybe they would just be leveling up one more but now that I'm experiencing Etherin, <laughs> I'm thinking holy shit it, we're gonna be here maybe a lot longer than I anticipated so maybe they should level up again still just bumming around the city and then possibly level up a, a third time when they make it to the actual spire in which case I'll have to decide how, what I want to do with the spire itself because i'm thinking it's mainly just going to be like a big boss room type situation but then what i'd like to do is they deal with uh give me a second Larthus, <laughs> and 
that's not the real final boss because the real final boss is going to be down in the Mythalar chamber where the Frost Maiden shows up and everybody wants a piece of this uh, freaking Mythalar. So that'll be a whole nother probably session. So maybe they could actually be, you know, high level for both of those things. 14 here, 15 right before the big A. Yeah, I could, I could see that coming for sure. Ray can use the wands, but no spell cases match gun requires spell attack. Roll spell attack modifier is just their proficiency bonus. Yeah, she can. Uh, well, I, I actually baked it into the rule um, that you can use, you can roll an arcana check. I didn't realize that. Is that an official rule? If a non spellcaster uses a magical item that requires a spell attack roll, their spell attack modifier is just their proficiency bonus. You automatically get to be proficient in a wand? Interesting. I wrote it in that you have to make an arcana check to actually fire this wand. Maybe that's because it's an ancient Netherese wand that doesn't require attunement, so I could put a little spiciness in there. But I know I, she was frustrated at that, but my argument is like, well, uh, you, you, I mean, your spellcasters just had to deal with an anti-magic field. <laughs> they weren't terribly frustrated by that. Um, and you also got to show off really well, like the last two combat encounters and absolutely kick ass. So, you know, yeah, if this is a situation where you can't absolutely kick ass, then I think that's fine. And, and even still, they found a way, you know, they're like, well, hey, you know, just you do the athletics checks and give us the ones. And that seems working out pretty well. But I'll, I'm taking that into consideration. And, you know, hopefully the stadium thing won't last too, too much longer. Cause I, I feeling like once we do like one round, uh, you know, at the beginning of next session, it'll probably have worn itself out by then. Interesting experiment, though. It, it's tough because you you theory craft all this stuff and then you write it down and then, you know, no plan stands up to uh, the execution with the players perfectly. So you got to kind of adjust from there. All right. So let's actually look at designing the Tower of Divination, which they will for sure do. So they've for sure done Abjuration. They will do Conjuration, which I liked. Um, divination is another, uh, it's actually like half combat and half social encounters, I recall. Sorry, I'm trying to flip through. Um, I actually built the damn thing. That's duration. Are you, I use two halves. I must've used two halves then. Okay, I must have just put them together. Yeah, because it's a bottom half and a top half. Every little thing she does is magic. Although I saw the uh, Quantumania movie, it was great. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Do not let the uh, weirdly negative reviews deter you. I enjoyed... The hell out of that movie. It really reminded me of like just classic like adventure sci-fi movie. I will not get into any spoilers, I promise. Um, how big is this supposed to be? I should have pulled the PDF up. And I realize you can now load uh, PDFs, or now they've actually had that for a while. You can put PDFs directly into Roll20, so this whole time I could have been looking at it from there. 45 feet. Is nine squares across. Nine. The wrist, this one's actually like the only one that has an outdoor section. Reason for that. 
There's combat there. Nine, let's do one more or less than Not quite even. Is the height wrong? You always are doing this in roll twenty. Especially Lord Marbury. <laughs> Lord Marbury, man, that is something that I and I already talked about that in Frostside chat where uh I I did not expect it and I really hesitated on whether to allow the Pegasus to come in and do that because my worry is whenever players have um, NPC allies, and, and, I, and I did this as a, as a player. I had a little demon buddy when I played through in, uh, Chris's last campaign. You, won't, you don't want that NPC ally to outshine a player, but you do want it to enhance you know, outside like the party in general, but you don't want to enhance that player. So it's a tricky balance for sure. And I was worried that like in this case, it's like, oh no, Lord Marbury's just going to kick ass by rolling around and charging up the wand. But I mean, it was, it was fun for the players and I think they enjoyed it for the most part. We can see how wide the single one is. All right, here we go. This one is 11 by 17. Let's just do that. Make it so it's set dimensions, units. Oh, ha! I did it right. That's 11 by 17. Uh, that's funny. So that's right? I thought that wasn't matching up well. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Yeah, I guess so. More than I... Where's the red shirt? <laughs> red shirt guy. I think another 11. I don't know why it defaults to being so big. Also 11 by 22. Oh, <laughs> I squeezed that the wrong way. This part of it's just way too high for some reason. Okay, I think that's correct. The one, two, three, four, five, six squares. One, two, three, four, five, six squares. That right there. So it's just a smaller tower. Right next to it. That's on the map layer. That's fine. You better have been able to summon this whole thing. It's been using Lord Marbury forever. Drop off one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Nine off the bottom. Lighting is on. Daylight mode is off, but I think there'll be plenty of lights on. In fact, I can put some of the street lights on, I guess, to light this thing up. So in this one, I really like the idea of it combining the observatory with the tower itself, normally these are two different locations, and then that frees up the observatory on the Necropolis map to actually be the Tower of Necromancy, because as written, uh, Tower of Necromancy is destroyed. It's been collapsed, and on the map it's that ruined tower, and uh, it's just full of, like, crawling claws or something. But the, the one in uh, Expanded Towers of Aetherin is much better because it is a fully standing tower. 
there probably could have been some interesting use to explore a tower that was more destroyed, but went there with this one. Make the color match a little better. Blue. Going up very well. Not that one. So what, is that not changing? Am I blind? This background is changing for some reason. Uh, that yellow. All right. Uh, dynamic lighting. Now this one we can't just draw a circle because we actually need to make a little door here. Leave I did. Here, excellent. Yeah, something other than crawling claws. Like that's so lame. This one has a. This one is a. Is a lot of combat to begin with, and the way they do the divination angle is you come in and you basically get a brief premonition of a bunch of Nothics rushing into this room, and you can activate by touching all of these destroyed planets from, I guess, this big Ori, and they all give you some kind of ability. Oh yeah, and there's some Majin in here, just for funsies, I guess. That one's a little bit samey as Abjuration, unfortunately. Like you walk in like, oh yeah, we gotta fight the Majin first. This one at least does not have an anti-magic field, though. So I may have to add more Majin. Add more Majin. Uh, Celestial Bodies. They, when do they get the... Again, there's Nothics outside of the door. I may remove the Nothics or have them scatter or something. There's going to be a lot of Nothic fighting. And per character. You know what? In the Tower of Necromancy, Necromancy, there are a fuck ton of Crawling Claws in there. Like, I don't know, 15 or 20 or something. It's pretty great. And yeah, the <laughs> those weren't Crawling Claws that um, nearly TPK'd my poor patron D&D party. One of our first sessions of the Empire of the Ghouls campaign. Uh, I forgot what they were called, but it was like a, almost like undead organs or things. It was even grosser than crawling claws. Or at least one of them was. Maybe they had variant stat blocks or something. First character takes a moment to examine the starry ceiling experiences a brief premonition. I want to make sure to make that happen. Because that's the important part of this area. Because they get the premonition of all these, yeah, a dozen Nothics burst into the room and catch your allies unprepared. The character is able to deduce that the Nothic attack is seconds away and the party has only a moment to prepare to face the threat. The characters are not already in initiative order, have them roll initiative once the vision concludes. At the beginning of the second round of combat, the Nothics begin to charge the door of the planetarium. That's a really smart move because essentially you're forcing your players to not just pussyfoot around and actually saying, okay, you're in initiative on your turn. What do you do? There's no enemies yet. So you essentially, you know, you can hold action or you can use your action to do a thing, you know, cast a um, buff spell or something, but it, it kind of puts the tension into the players. So I do like having them roll initiative after that. But I may almost trigger the uh, 
the premonition. I almost feel like I should have that be like a cutscene when they enter almost instead of that having to wait for them to look up because who the fuck's looking up at the starry ceiling when you've got all these things on the map to look at, you know? Look up the very end. I just want y'all to know this is one of the best <laughs> circle jobs I think I've ever done. <laughs> it helped that I was distracted, I guess. Door right there. Best circles ever. I think it is supposed to be a locked door. It's welded shut from the inside. Good lord. Door can be broken through with a successful DC 25 athletics check. Characters working together with a combined strength score of 30 or greater succeed automatically. The barricaded door is 19 AC, 30 hit points immune to poison and psychic damage. But there's no... Penalty. It, these are always so... I just, I'm trying to wrap my head around the, how the game works like this. Well, Eric, throw more Nothics at him. Well, we're about to throw Nothics at him. <laughs> Like, what if they fail this check? Which is why I always like to throw in there, like, okay, you, you know, you lose a hit dice or something. Like, right? Like, you throw your shoulder into it. Oh, you get a little exhausted. Now you can try again. Or you do open it, but you lose two hit dice because you failed. Like, it just feels weird to have skill checks for things you need it for things you need to have the players get into. This is like main quest shit. You can't just have them bar them and have them turn around and leave. They have to get in. And yet there's no penalty or failure state if they just don't make the skill check. It's just them rolling dice over and over and over again. So that's why I've kind of been using the, like, well, you lose a hit dice or something. Because exhaustion is too much. For just not getting a door down. Z25 is fucking legit, though. Jeez, for athletics check. So there's Majin inside. We can definitely throw some Majin in there. A little bit of a wall right there. Uh, surely we can use more than three Majin, though. Majin. Demos, Majin. We could just use all three if we wanted to. I mean, hell, the last one we had, what? We had like five of these guys and a Hypnos Majin. And the player still absolutely kicked their ass. Although I was able to do a ton of damage to Frey. The only interesting thing was they were in an anti-magic field. That's not going to be the case here. Yeah, I like, yeah, failing forward. I'm glad we're on board with that. Um, I couldn't decide if there should be dyna some dynamic lighting in here. I wasn't sure how big these things are supposed to be. Here's our models of planets and celestial bodies in the Toral's planetary system. Spheres were once enchanted to cause special effects to help immerse visitors. The magic has since gone awry. A character can simply use an object. Interaction on their turn to place a hand on one of the falling spheres and cause some effect to occur. A sphere can only be used this way once and then cease to be magical. So they're all just absolutely one-time use. Nobody has knock, I don't think. <laughs> Please. Pretty sure nobody's got knock. So maybe because this area is not anti-magic field, we can use more spellcasters. Maybe we'll use... Um, we can add two of the Galvan Magens, although... Well, yeah, because we can still use because they won't have actually fought the Galvan Mages. They'll just have played against them in the. Um, is this too? This might be too much. They're about to fight a shit ton of Nothics. 
Calvins are actually the Galvins have more hit points than the than the tanky ones. That's crazy. They can just shoot fucking lightning bolts, which is awesome. Half as much damage. I don't know if any of my players are wearing metal armor. I don't think they are. Is studded leather not metal? I can touch it. Well, yeah, so mainly the thing is that they can shoot a lightning bolt. I don't think that's quite a true lightning bolt. It's 40, 10 lightning damage. Oh, literally knock with their hands and imagine you can open the door to see one at entry. That's fucking funny. <laughs> I could go even creepier and have... Well, I was going to say, I could have the mage in telepathically tell them um, the tower is closed, please leave or something. But I established earlier that even the Hypnos Magians uh, cannot speak. Um, but so instead, it would just probably be the tower itself giving off some kind of like automated message or something. Welcome to the channel, Nahuel. So maybe I'm putting too many Magian in here. I mean, it's written, but again, all the things that are written in here are for level 9. So I feel like I need to just automatically upscale everything that's in here. I feel like giving them a, a mixture of all the magens is going to be a more interesting thing to go. Even though it's unfortunately, it's basically the same thing they ran into with the other tower, which is you walk in and it's a bunch of magens guarding it. At least the circumstances are different. The other one didn't have anything to interact with. This one has a bunch of things to interact with. The thing that the players don't know is whenever you touch it, and a magical effect occurs, and it only occurs once. So the sun casts the fireball spell in the next, delayed fireball spell, basically, on the next turn. Sun casts a fireball spell, DC 15, centered on itself at the beginning of the next turn of the character that touched it. So it's actually, I have to keep track of that character's next turn. Centered on itself, it's, it's originating from the, the sun. Ooh, I should put that on the map then. That would be handy. I know how big the fireball spell is. How big is a fireball spell? Have we seen a fireball spell in this campaign? Surely somebody's thrown it. Well, my flame skulls. <laughs> They've thrown it around. It's the default right there. Uh, I know Fireball is hilariously overtuned. D6 for a third level spell. 20 radius sphere. 40 total. You know. Oh, it's a lot bigger than that. Holy crap, is it going to fill up this room? Exciting. Yeah, that's 40. I think. So it should have... Uh, four squares on each side. No. Yeah, 5, 10, 15, 20. 5, 10, 15. 20. 10, 15. This is too big. One tick down. 5, 10, 15, 20. 5, 10, 15, 20. There you go. That's the, that's the size of a fireball. Centered on the sun would be right there. So that's good to know. That's handy to have on the map already. 
Ooh, how fun does that look? Oliar is a gray gas giant planet. This one. Uh, a character touches it gains the benefit of a fly spell for one minute. That's fun. Pearl is the blue sphere with green shapes scattered across it. Actually... Did, okay. Yeah, Koliar is this one. Toral is left side. I didn't bother putting them on the map right now, but I can see that. Character getting the benefit of a stone skin spell for one minute. The loon, which is the moon up here, getting the benefit of both jump and long strider. I like how useful that would be in this situation. In other words, they just become Celeste. Pretty sure she's already got abilities. Yeah, increase by 10 feet and jump just, what, triples your jumping speed? Compared to the Fireball Wand, these are all... The Fly can be actually very useful against Novix. Uh, and then... Arpy is the big blue one. Gains the ability to cast Wall of Water as an action for one minute. Those are all the different things. Only one of them is like a big destructive force. I almost would change another one to make it a similar destructo thing. Just for funsies. Yeah. Just because I don't see Jump and Longstrider helping you in the battle, and the battle is what's about to happen. Flying can help you. Um... Stone skin can certainly help. A fireball spell can help. Although, you've got to coordinate that shit. And they won't know that's what it does. <laughs> and then wall of water, I guess, could help. Ever seen this spell in action? Any ranged weapon attack that enters the wall space is disadvantaged in the attack roll, and fire damage is halved if the fire effect passes through the wall to reach its target. Spells that deal cold damage pass the wall, cause the area of the wall to pass through to freeze solid. So, unfortunately, none of this really matters against a bunch of Nothics, because Nothics aren't using ranged weapon attacks, I don't think. None of their ranged attacks are to hit, they're all saves. They're not shooting fire. So neither of those really matter. It just becomes difficult terrain. Hmm. We might have to change that one also, just because I don't see Wall of Water uh, being terribly useful. And you only get the, all these effects for like a minute, so they're essentially made to be used during this fight. Character gains a bonus action on their turn to look deeply at the starry ceiling. Character gains a benefit to the foresight spell until the start of their next turn. Character can't be surprised and has advantage on attack rolls, ability checks, and saving throws. Additionally, other creatures have advantage on attack rolls against the target for the duration. Disadvantage. Character is aware of this benefit, the duration, and understands the benefit can be gained again by briefly studying the ceiling. Wow, that's huge. A bonus action on every turn? To gain advantage on all of your things and other characters have disadvantage, that is such a huge swing. 
My goodness. How would they know to study the ceiling again? Okay, the starting ceiling up the first means a vision of how the spheres throughout the room may be used. Use them during the battle. You can roll an associate vision table to determine the information is gleaned and can reroll duplicates. Okay, and so you can't actually see what happens. Hmm. But all you have to do is look at it. I think there should be a skill check involved. I feel like that's where you could reward players with a skill check, is then you would know what this would do. Or or using some kind of identify spell or something. That's true, Stan. Um, some kind of... Uh, I mean, any kind of debuff spell or crowd control spell would be helpful here, because so far they're all either buffs or a fireball or wall of water. So, I, I, yeah, I may have to change one or two of these. The character experienced the premonition from the starry sitting off attack the following round. Attack in three waves, rolling initiative at the start of rounds two, four, and six, respectively. That's a lot of combat. So it's supposed to come every two rounds. The so round one is you have them roll initially with them knowing the Nothics are coming. Round two, and again, this is for level nine, it spawns three Nothics and a Nothic Stalker. Round four, two Nothics and two Nothic Stalkers. And then round six, three Nothics and a Nothic Preeminent, which are new Nothics that were created as part of this uh, module. Which is a lot, but, you know, it's I think it's an interesting thing to throw at the players that we really haven't dealt with yet, which is what if like horde mode survival, but you also kind of knew that that's, that they were coming. You had a, kind of had a chance to prepare for that. Section off the outside so you don't see the construction print and work around. A little bit bigger. Nope. Oh. went back on. Them simple buff like advantage on spell saves ability checks. Yeah, I mean any anything's a bonus like, um, you know, like the bless spell or just shit like that. And we could just oh, I guess if we they the one thing is they should be tied to thematically tied to their celestial bodies. So obviously having something to do with water would be good for this one, but I would think like. Uh, was there like a tidal wave or something? What was the one that um, Bell's character used in Tomb Annihilation all the time? It was like just a force of water getting gushed out. Like that would be more useful than a wall of water, I think. Toral, I think you could use anything, right? Couldn't it even be even like an Earth-based spell? Isn't that just the actual planet? I think... Um, in fact, what is that one supposed to be? Is that the fly one? Oh, Twirl's stone skin, okay. Oh, Koliar is fly. Okay, Koliar is the gra the the gas giant. That's the one that gives you fly. Twirl gives you stone skin. Alright, that makes sense. Yeah, it's an that's an earth type spell. The one I need to fix is Saloon, which is the moon, which that could be anything, but probably some kind of mental based thing would be interesting. Um mental or maybe something to do with like the pull of gravity, because the moon and gravity, you know, could be a thing. So maybe um, 
levitate. Although it's kind of like fly, and it gives maybe it gives you the ability to cast levitate. That could that could be be something the moon could do. What's a good water type spell? Can we just search water? See if something has water in the name of it. Control water, create food and water, shape water, wall of water, water breathing, water walk, watery sphere. There's also water whip, which I think is a that monk ability. Oh yeah, moonbeam. Cast moonbeam center on itself. That'd be interesting. I know the big thing is moonbeam can move around, but what if you couldn't? What if you couldn't move it around? But. It was there and nobody had to concentrate on it. So you can imagine how fun like Edmund and some of these players would have knowing there's an orbital laser beam in a square like trying to get creatures into that spot. <laughs> so Moonbeam would be pretty funny. I actually really like that idea because the moon would cast Moonbeam. <laughs> pretty easy one to solve. Uh, I'm going to have to write that one down. Seven. Like all the other ones, sun should be fireball. That's obvious and cool. Uh, I can still give fly. I mean, it gaseous form would be the more obvious thing, but it's useless in combat. Um, so I think either fly or the ability to cast levitate. But no, I think I think fly is pretty good. I'm just trying to think like a lot of players can just fly between Lord Robin, Lord Marbury, and then Edmund like clicking his wings together. But yeah, I think I think we're gonna keep fly. Um, Toral stone skin is probably still a good buff. I have to remind myself: is that the one that just gives you straight up resistance, like uh, barbarian style resistance? Well, the spell ends target is resistant on magical bludgeoning, piercing, slashing. Yeah, that's great. That's really good. The only bummer is if the barbarian's the one that touches it and then doesn't really. Do them any good. I guess they don't have to rage then. But oh well. Uh so we'll keep that one. Yeah, fog fog clouds is such a pain in the ass, man. I hate that spell. <laughs> just the rules around fog cloud just annoy the shit out of me. Uh saloon moon saloon saloon eh? saloon? Moonbeam, I do love that idea. The moon should cast a moonbeam. In the right one, right? It's the orbital laser. A radius 40 foot high cylinder. Golden ghostly flames. 2d10 radiant damage. Uh, and it's just it just stays in that spot for probably like a minute, I think. Nobody will be able to move it, but it'll still do its thing. Uh, do we want to keep it at that level? Um, I assume the fireball casts at third level baseline, so I guess we can just keep the moonbeam. As a baseline 2d10. AoE blindness. Yeah, that's... I guess that that's honestly the best way to think about it. You know what? They should have fucking just worded it like that. <laughs> Anybody in the fog cloud has the blinded condition. Boom. Done. Mechanically sound. Uh, and then we still need a water one. Carpy. 
have to have the it doesn't have to have the word water in it literally, but I think the one I was picturing of um was not I wanna say it was tidal wave. Ooh, there's a lot of waves, I forget. Thunder wave, pulse wave, destructive wave, tidal wave, that's the one. This is what I was thinking of. You conjure a wave of water that crashes down an area than range. Getting uh, memories of uh, Interstellar. Area can be up to 30 feet long, 10 feet wide, and up to 10 feet tall. Each creature in the area must make a deck save. Failed save, a creature takes 48 bludgeoning damage and is knocked prone. That's, I mean, it's a, it's a third level spell. Like it, it scales pretty well to what's going on in this region. Um, up to 30 feet long, 10 feet wide, and 10 feet tall. The long would be this way. Right, which direction would it crash out is the only bummer, because it's not... Hmm. Cone of cold water. <laughs> I mean, tidal wave is even... I feel like this is the most thematic. I'm just trying to figure out the direction that it should be in. Wide and ten feet tall. Ten feet wide. That means it's only going to cover technically two squares, two full squares, which is planet takes up one square. Yeah, aim to the center. That's kind of what I was picturing. It just goes 30. Good lord. 30 feet crashes the other side of the room. So it's I, I'd say it's a lightning bolt then. It's actually, it's, it's really long. Yeah, 10 feet wide and 10 feet tall. Okay, so it's like a lightning bolt through the middle of the room. Yeah, that's probably what I'd do. it go right in the middle. And probably time it the same as the fireball, where it triggers on somebody's turn. Whoever touched it, maybe it's delayed to the next turn and goes off. Uh, there's just two of those effects. I don't know if I have a good art effect for that. I don't think I do. Wall of ice, wall of fog. Wall of ice is close. Horse wall. Go through the tediousness of searching for a wall of water, but I think I like that idea of having it just crash in the middle of the room. Oh yeah, that really looks like an ice wall. It looks like a giant turd that has been frozen, is what that looks like. I think I want to use that now. <laughs> And delete. <laughs> I can't unsee it. Yes, Unversed. I think that's... Um, I think I mentioned that earlier. It's not written in here. Instead, it just says... Um, it, was, it was here with the Celestial Vision table. Characters who glance at the starry ceiling after the first... Experience a vision of how the spheres throughout the room may be of use to them during the battle. 
You can roll on the Celestial Vision table below to determine what information to glean in and can re-roll duplicates. So essentially, as written, it's like they come in, they look at the ceiling, they get the premonition, then you put them in initiative order, and you say, okay, you've got this first round, but you know they're coming in seconds. You've got time to prepare. And then characters can just nebulously choose to look up, and then you can roll on this table to get other things for them. So instead, I think I'm going to make that a skill check where... If Robin doesn't have Detect Magic on, and hopefully he will, maybe I can remind him, then I can say, okay, you can use, and obviously you can Detect Magic on all these things. Then maybe you can use some uh, an Arcana check, I guess. Um, I think like History or something would be useful here, but I guess Arcana would be the best thing to do it. Or just, yeah, a way for you to determine... Well, Detect Magic would allow you to already see the magic school, wouldn't it? So Arcana would maybe, I mean, in, in, as written, it really lets you discover what they're going to do. So yeah, maybe an Arcana check would would just spell it out for you. I, I feel like f part of the fun is not knowing what they're going to do, but the problem is you need to hint strongly to the players that they are going to do something, because the worst case scenario is the players never do touch the damn things, and thus never play around with it. So there's a tricky balance between wanting to convey the information that these things are magical and have magical properties, but also saying these things are one-time use magic effects that you may not know exactly what they do. So yeah, maybe after we do this fight, and the, the, the other weird thing is you've got this Majin fight first, so what if the players are in here and they just... What if somebody decides to run and jump on one of these things just randomly, you know, without having interacted with the room necessarily yet, but they're still in combat? Then do you have to go ahead and trigger that magical ability? That gets kind of tricky also. The more I think about it, the more I'm actually tempted to just nuke this Majin fight completely and just concentrate on a bigger, crazier Nothic fight out here. I wonder if that's more worthwhile. I don't know, but I think we've got some time to talk, uh, to discuss it in the future, but I believe for now that is going to do it for uh, this Monday edition of Crafting Ice Dale. If you enjoy the content, please do check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shoutouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, William, Brandon, Genocider, David, Eclectic, Role, Play, Role, Christopher, Brian, William, David, Corey, Code, 1337, Matthew, Big Nut, John, John, Chris, Scott, Gene, and Eric. And gold patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Dead Lizard, Lounge, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Fazlika, Tortoise, Scott, Refus, Carolyn, and William. Thank you all very much for your support. See you for another Crafting Icewind Dale on Thursday.